to me, it was the right fit, you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. And I, I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. It is season two, episode one, if you will, of your favorite podcast, at least we hope. I am your host, Art Stapleton, and we are back. The Giants are back in training camp. Today was the first day of practice We were out there to see all the festivities in East Rutherford at the Giants training facility. We started the morning with a joint press conference with Joe Shane, general manager, and head coach Brian Dable. Then we had practice for about 90 minutes. Fans were back for the first time since 2019. And then we had press interviews after the game, after the practice with Daniel Jones, Blake Martinez. Andrew Thomas, uh, and I had a chance to talk to Darnay Holmes, who had a big play today uh, in practice. So we'll get to all that in a moment. This week's guest, one of the New York Giants legends, number 58 in your scorebook and your hearts, Carl Banks, ring of honoree, two-time Super Bowl champion, obviously is in the broadcast booth of the Giants now, alongside Bob Papa, so you hear him every week. Uh, There are very few people that know the Giants better than Carl does and certainly knows football, given Carl's history and his mind uh, and the people he's been around. So it was great to catch up with Carl. It actually started, we were hoping to talk for a story on Kayvon Thibodeau back in the spring, uh, and then uh, we kind of ran out of time. So we figured, let's hold off, let's do it as a training camp preview, and I will have that for you, about 30 minutes with Carl Banks. Uh, Always appreciative of his time, and I think you'll enjoy that interview. Uh, But before we get to Carl, I wanted to give you some takeaways that I'll have posted on NorthJersey.com as well. Uh, From today's festivities, Shane and Dayball together, joint press conference. You're going to see this a lot. It's part of their messaging. They want to be in lockstep the GM and the head coach on the same page. We know that by the tail end of last season, Dave Gettleman and Joe judge were on two completely different pages. Their directions had kind of veered off. uh, And really it's been a while since the giants were able to put the head coach and the general manager in lockstep from day one. We know their history from their time in Buffalo. uh, And I think What's interesting, and I talked to Shane about this and asked him specifically because it's something different for the Giants general manager. It hasn't been this way. When Jerry Reese was the general manager, Jerry did not come hang out at practice. And if Jerry came out at practice, he was kind of off to the side watching, uh, not necessarily mingling with players. Then with Dave Gettleman, it was almost a kibitzing session that that Gettleman was out there just to kind of say hello and wave. But all his work was kind of being done behind the scenes when when he was putting things together. Joe Shane takes on a different approach. And we saw that starting in the spring. 
he's hands-on. I mean, he's throwing passes to the tight ends back in the spring when they didn't have an extra quarterback. You know, Shane is out there, and he has made sure that the players see him there. And part of his evaluation is really being there on site, watching the players, really watching everyone out there. So it's an interesting dynamic with Shane and Dable as we move forward here. And I, and I asked them both, is it really going to be a planned out thing or is it organic? And they said it kind of happens organically in terms of, you know, you've got separation of church and state, so to speak. You have the personnel department, you have the football coaching, and how do you blend that together? So that's an interesting part moving forward is that Joe Shane is not sitting up in his office watching film of practice and making determinations. He's on site. He is hands-on as a general manager. Uh, and as of right now, that is in lockstep with Brian Dable and his coaching staff. Uh, and the key will be to continue that way and to have them working together. I'm sure there'll be players where Joe Shane will, wanted the player and Brian Dayball didn't and the player ended up on the roster. Uh, and you know, look, it happens. It's a part of the personnel decisions in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see how those two go together. I just thought that was very symbolic. Uh, from what I understand, Dable and Shane wanted it that way. They both wanted to speak on day one, uh, with the availability and kind of give that joint messaging, uh, of where the giants are, where they're going, uh, there's a sense of optimism, but there's also that reality that this is really year one in a in an extended plan that this team needs to build. So on the field, are there any differences from years past? It's still way too early. Uh, I have to be honest, the fans that were in attendance were pretty good. A little less than I thought in the crowd. You know, I, I, I thought it, there would be a lot more people. Um filled in today. I don't know if people are forced to kind of pick and choose now because you have to go in and reserve the free tickets. I would expect next week is going to be pretty crowded uh, at the Giants. The pads will come on on Monday. The Giants practice on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They have Sunday off. Then they come back on Monday and they will be in full pads. So if you really want to go to training camp to see hitting and, you know, a semblance of football, not seven on seven. Monday is your first day that you really want to get out there. So I would imagine that is going to be a uh, full house at 1925 Giants Drive. Uh, they worked on the red zone today a lot. And that was really where all the teamwork was. And I would imagine that's a gradual plan. Last year, the Giants moved from red zone to, uh, I think it was intermediate. And then they moved all the way back to mid midfield in terms of their installation and execution. I would imagine similar will happen uh, with Brian Dable on this offense. Uh, some first takes in terms of where this offense is kind of solidified what I thought back in the spring. A lot of motion, a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of movement, a lot of change of direction. You see guys like Kadarius Tony and Wandale Robinson these change of direction guys. I think the Giants were going to employ a lot of that in the red zone. I think you the the move tight ends, Daniel Bellinger off of Pup, so everyone could relax on that one. He practiced today. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of combination routes 
in the red zone, you're not necessarily looking for just fades, traditional fades. They actually threw one today, a back shoulder to Kenny Galladay, and it got punched away. Uh, Galladay wasn't able to hold on to it either. So I'm not sure if it was a good defensive play at that moment. It was on the opposite side of the field or if it was just a drop by Galladay. Uh, but the success that the Giants had today uh, was motion-based, change of direction, rollouts, Daniel Jones rolling out to a certain side, getting guys coming across the formation, Kadarius Tony, the backs, Wondell Robinson, guys that were just kind of flowing against the grain. That's usually where teams nowadays in the NFL can do their damage, especially when you have guys like Kadarius Toney uh, and Wandale Robinson who are catch and run guys. You know, Sterling Shepard kind of fits in that realm as well. Uh, I think Wandale Robinson is a much better route runner than anyone talked about coming in. He caught a touchdown today. It was beautiful. Ran a really nice route. Far left corner of the end zone. Kind of caught Xavier McKinney. Uh, I don't know what the coverage was, what the Giants were in, but Wandale made a nice catch. Uh, one of my predictions is that Wandale is going to be a lot more involved. Uh, he may not get the volume, but I think he will make impactful plays for this team. So that brings us to the most encouraging part of the offensive performance, and really across the board, was Kadarius Tony. Made a great catch today for a touchdown. I'm sure you've seen video. If you haven't seen it, uh, Madeline Burke on Twitter had video. Uh, you know, it's always a, a kick yourself when you miss some of these plays. I recorded the play before the Tony touchdown, and I got the play uh, two plays after with Darnay Holmes' interception, but I did not have the video of Kadarius Tony's catch on Aaron Robinson. Look, it, it was a phenomenal catch. Got both feet down, uh, really juggled the catch a little bit, but it wasn't necessarily a juggling. It was a, it needed to make more of a circus catch to pull it down. Uh, and you could just see the excitement that the Giants had really on both sides, although the defense didn't go crazy. Actually, Wink Martindale thought it, should have been a one foot down. Now, upon further review, and it would have been reviewed in a real game, he did make the catch. Kadarius Tony completed the play, had both feet down. It was a heck of a catch. Uh, and look, if Kadarius Tony can build on days like this, where he's out there, there's no red jersey, he's playing, he looks healthy, and he's creating rapport and chemistry with Daniel Jones, that's everything the Giants could ask for. I did a top 12 countdown of the most important players on the Giants for 2022, and I moved Kadarius Tony all the way up to number three. You can check out the entire list and my explanations for all on NorthJersey.com, uh, but I think Tony is that impactful if he plays well this year. Now, there are there is everything that happened last year that is going to hang over Kadarius Tony until he can prove otherwise that he gets hurt just when he has success, that he's not out there all the time. Uh, these are all things that he has to address by the way he plays and performs on the field and attacks this game off the field. But certainly sounds like the Giants believe he's motivated to prove that he can do that. And if today is any indication I think it's a huge sign and a huge step forward for Kadarius Tony. Of course, 
when day two rolls around tomorrow morning and Kadarius Tony's back on the field or if he's off the field, then obviously that's something that needs to be uh, evaluated at that time. But for now, best news the Giants could have gotten today, Kadarius Tony. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, it, you know, it was interesting. Thibodeau was out there as well. He was a full go. He flip-flopped sides at times. He was rushing against Andrew Thomas. Uh, had a couple clean looks uh, when schematically the Giants offense tried attacking a different way. So it wasn't necessarily straight up on Andrew Thomas. But Thibodeau could have had at least one, maybe two sacks on Daniel Jones, including one on what became a, an eventual touchdown pass to Saquon Barkley in the end zone that Thibodeau had to pull up because it's camp scenario and you're not going to go bum rush your entire quarter, your quarterback uh, on the first day of training camp or really in any day in training camp. But I thought Thibodeau was pretty good. He flipped over to the other side, rushed against uh, Evan Neal a little bit. That was cool to see. I think we're going to be monitoring those stuff. We can spend days, really every day of camp, watching those three guys battle and I think that would be an interesting watch. Um, another thing, Aziz Ojolari is on the side. He's on non-football injury. Uh, tweaked his hamstring in training away from the facility, trying to lead up to training camp. He looked like he was moving around pretty good with the training staff. So I don't think that's going to be something that lingers. But in his place, Jihad Ward, uh, played opposite Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, and I'm not sure how productive Ward will be this year, uh, but I do know that he had his most productive season as a pro in Baltimore with Wink Martindale. And if there's a leader on this team, a vocal leader, especially on the defensive side of the ball, Jihad Ward is involved in a lot of different things. So I would keep an eye on Jihad Ward. I think he'd be a fan favorite if this defense surprises early and plays pretty well. I think Ward will be in the middle of it uh, from that perspective, even if it's not a production standpoint. Uh, somehow Leonard Williams came away with a ripped jersey. Uh, almost looked like it was Hulk Hogan in the WrestleMania days of pulling his shirt off. Uh, you'll see photos uh, we had some, I posted some uh, on NorthJersey.com of Leonard without his shirt, with, with the, his jersey, but kind of ripped, almost looked like he was hulking up a little bit. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, before I get to the interview with Carl Banks, uh, Darnay Holmes had an interception, great anticipation, faked the blitz at the goal line, dropped back. They looked for Saquon Barkley in the end zone. Darnay made a great diving pick. And then the celebration uh, was really, really good for a first day uh, celebration. Guys on the sideline, really happy for Darnay. Uh, had a chance to talk to Darnay after practice. And we went back to last season and, you know, look, it was ups and downs. You know, Darnay was really in danger of losing his spot completely on the roster last year. Uh, whether or not they would have looked to to trade him, or or I don't think they would have cut him, but he struggled in the in the preseason. They attacked him, and you know he told me today part of the reason, part of his study this off season, he realized that teams were attacking him at the top of his route. That by the time the receiver got to the top of his route, Darnay was already beaten. And he said, you know, I thought I could react and athletically, but 
I needed to figure out how to be able to create more at the top of the route and be tighter at the top of the route because once you get beat at the top of your route, you're done. So we talked about that. He got a little confidence last year. He hit a stretch where he was playing pretty well and then fractured a rib. And what he told me today, which I I was unaware of last year, it kept him out for the rest of the season. But he said he remembers being in the hospital bed when they did the x-rays and they realized he had a fractured rib. The concern was that the rib was close enough to the lung where he would suffer a, a punctured lung. And that is why they looked at the situation and said, we got to shut him down. Uh, so he said it was a little disheartening to hear that. Uh, you know, it was very scary. So he comes back, he's healthy now, and talked a lot about the interchangeable parts in the secondary for Wink Martindale. The fact that the Giants drafted Cordell Flott to play a similar position that Darnay plays. He said they've gotten close, they've spent a lot of time together. And he said he understands that you're going to have to earn your role on this team. And that's what he plans on doing. So thought that was interesting. He's gotten close with Julian Love and Xavier McKinney. Right now, they're the the number one trio as far as the slot and the two safeties. Uh, And then with Aaron Robinson and Adoree Jackson. That's the secondary right now. I think you're going to see Dane Belton, rookie Cordell Flott, who made two really nice plays today one in traffic in the end zone, and a really smart play. Uh, Davis Webb threw a touchdown pass or a would-be touchdown pass to uh, Robert Foster. It was in the back left corner of the end zone, and they were close enough to the end when Foster was up in the air, midair, Flott knocked him out of bounds. So he knew the rules, he had good IQ, and he knew that was the play. So he essentially guided him out of bounds once he left his feet and was up to make the catch. So nice play by Flott. So... Those are my first uh, first day observations. Wanted to give you a feel for that before we launched into the interview with Carl. Hope you enjoy it, and I'll be back to wrap it up. But here is, without further ado, my interview with Carl Banks. All right, joining me now, a stranger to no one, if you claim to be a Giants fan, or if you're a diehard, or even an NFL fan, one of the all-time greats, two-time Super Bowl champ, Ring of honoree for the Giants and should be in Canton, but that could be a whole nother show. Carl Banks, great to talk to you as always. All right, thank you for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. So I know I joked with you before we got on the air the idea of are you ready for camp? And from your playing days till now, you have a little bit less strenuous work heading out there to uh, 19. 25 Giants drive, but when this time of year rolls around, do you uh, do you get that that excitement back to kind of see a new team, new year? And unfortunately for the Giants, it's seemingly a new era every two years. You know, I do. Our, the, the interesting thing about it um, is that there is an internal clock that or calendar that kind of once you get to the second week of July, it's kind of like okay, you're getting ready for football, right? And it's like when I, um, you know, planning business trips and things of that nature, I'm trying to get everything in before the start of camp, no different than if it were uh, when I was a player. But obviously, you know, trying to uh, really grasp uh, this new 
regime and take in as much as I can, you know, during training camp will give me a much better feel for uh, this team. Now, you little uh, cross promotion, you and Bob Papa, obviously, we listen to you every week uh, doing the games starting in the preseason and then through the regular season. But you also have your own podcast uh, on the Believe Network. Uh, but you guys had a great interview, what I thought, when you sat down with Joe Shane. So you've got a feel for what the, the new regime, at least in the personnel department, uh, wants to do. This is obviously the first time that you'll get a chance, other than the you know, practices in shorts and, and shells in, in the spring. Um, what sense do you have for where this direction is going for for this team? Because, you know, I've said this to some people is that this is the fourth new era that I've covered since Tom Coughlin left. And it's kind of hard to believe that it's only been uh, seven years you know, so I, I try to I find myself now pumping the brakes a little bit because what I may have seen in year one certainly changed in year two for each of the previous three regimes. Why should Giants fans be excited or why are you eager to kind of see what Brian Dable and this coaching staff does in year one? Well, I, I think the biggest thing that you you really have to take note of, the last three regimes were home renovations and what you found out is that the foundation wasn't strong enough for just makeovers yep. um, so they had to tear it down and this is a complete reconstruction so um, you have different people selecting players coaches the whole the whole shebang so that is I think one of the reasons why uh Giants fans should, you know, at least be optimistic um, that things are going to go uh, in the right direction because it was not, again, like a remodel, right? Mm -hmm. It was, you know, the structure, the foundation, everything ripped up, and it's a complete rebuild. So, and we just find out, you know, when you continue to renovate that your foundation really doesn't can't you know sustain some of the things that you're doing uh if it's if it's not in place the right way so um i think you know credit to the mayor family and and making a tough decision um but a necessary one in terms of just deciding it's just not going to be the coach this time we're going to start from scratch let, let's talk players. I mean, I think you you said, it, like I said, I, I listen to you every week and during the season, and it's as much as you want to talk about the coaching and how it is a major factor, uh, it really does come down to the players at, at times. Give me your, your sense uh, as far as players. We'll start defensively. Um, I'll get to Mr. Thibodeau in a second, but the guy that intrigues me the, the most is Xavier McKinney. And I thought, you know, they decided to move on from Logan Ryan and everyone wanted to figure out why why they moved on from Logan Ryan. And, you know, it wasn't a big cap savings. And why wouldn't you keep a guy like that around? And I've written a couple times that, you know, it's almost like Logan Ryan had to walk in order for Xavier McKinney to fly. And... I feel as though Xavier McKinney is on the precipice of really becoming one of those 
players in the locker room, on the field, if he isn't already. What do you think about Zay going into his third year and, and what your expectations are? I think he's going to uh, vault into the elite category in terms of, of, of uh, safeties in this league. I think, you know, year one, you could tell he, he understood the game at the pro level. He moved the way uh, a football player should move as a pro. His second year, you could see there was so much more comfort uh, in how he played and uh, his just allowing his instincts to, to uh, take over. And I just believe uh, he is poised just from a progression and a skill set standpoint to move into that elite category and stay there. I think he's got, he's just so fundamentally sound, great instincts, you know, super athletic. Um, so I just think just the way he has grown uh, naturally uh, is, is, is going to position him to be in, in the elite category of safeties in this league you know it's funny i think back to 2016 and and what landon collins did that season uh and you know really putting himself in that elite category like you said and was a defensive player of the year candidate if you're if you're a giants fan or someone who's watching this team and you want to answer a question in terms of can his defense surprise people well if Xavier McKinney comes out and plays the kind of impactful ball week to week that Landon Collins did in 2016, that almost becomes a, you know, okay, now I understand why this defense is taking it to a different a different level. Do you see that kind of comparison? Um, they're totally two different players. One guy is more of a deep field safety who can is more versatile. Right. Uh, Landon was, you know, um, deep to short safety meaning he, he had a chance to impact in a different way because they could line him up in the line of scrimmage and he could be very disruptive. Um, but I think in terms of an impact on a team, um, I certainly think you could you will definitely see that uh, same type of impact from Xavier McKinney, especially with um, some of the versatility that... Um, Wink's going to bring to this defense. I was going to ask you, that was where I was going next uh, with, with Wink Martindale in this defense. And obviously... Uh, you know, Patrick Graham did a good job as a defensive coordinator here. Obviously, last year in year two it was a little, little disappointing on, on many fronts. I'm sure he would say that. When you see Wink bringing his system here, you're a guy who watches defense, uh, can teach defense, uh, and has played defense at a high level at this league. What are you, what are you most intrigued to see Wink's system uh, from a from a week to week situation? Well, I think that's the thing about it. From week to week, he's going to be different. Um, the and I, and I planned. Uh, Wink and I had kind of a, um, a penciled-in appointment uh, just for me to sit down and get a grasp of you know philosophically what he's doing because I I got a couple seasons of his film just to you know to take it in and I wanted to ask some questions and see if I was in the right, you know, the right space in terms of how I, I saw his defense. But um, the one thing that you will notice about what Wink Martindale does, he puts the entire offense in the um, 
protection action, meaning you'll see receivers, you'll see linemen, you'll see quarterbacks, you'll see running backs. He wants to get everybody in the action because it just it just looks that if you got a lot of people trying to um, call out protections or get the protections right, somebody's going to make a mistake because everybody is not on the same page. And when you often see when he starts doing, well, when his defenses start to give different looks, you'll look across the line of scrimmage and everybody's pointing and, and you know, checking with each other to see if they've got the right uh, assignments. And so when he does that with his defenses, it creates chaos offensively because offenses want to make one motion, look at a safety or look at a mic, and know what the defense is either going to be or what it could be. And with him, it just um, it puts everybody offensively in the action or the responsibility of you know uh, making sure everybody's on the same page. Now, with that said, you know they're only as good as their best players, or maybe is their their worst player, right? Um, because, you know, there, it can be feast or famine with him. And, and I think Giants fans are going to have to realize that um, he's going to do what gives them the best shot, but sometimes they're not going to be good enough. Um, and one of my big concerns right now is the cornerback position. Yep. You know, um, I know they got one. Uh, they got another safety and a, a utility guy in – Julian Love, and then the rest of it is, you know, Rodarius and and the rest of the crew and 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 um, um, Darnay Holmes is going to probably be the slot guy. But you know, I don't know if they have a, what we see on paper in terms of experience. There's not a lot of depth on the outside of this defense. Um, so that's not to say that the players that we we talk about won't be able to take the next step either. Like, we haven't seen a whole lot, if anything, of Darius Williams, right? He had a, right. a really good camp his rookie year, and then he got injured, and then we haven't seen anything of him. But, boy, he could compete um, when he was out there. But, you know, he's a he's a low-round draft pick. Um, the Giants, he was the Giants' last pick, right, in the draft? Yes, yeah. So... You know he's got he's got some things to prove. So I think up front and in the middle they got a lot of depth, right? Um, they got enough linebackers. They're probably going to upgrade a little more. Um, but and then up front, I think they're going to be really good. Um, I, I'll be, I'll be uh, excited, interested, and excited if um, Dexter Lawrence is at nose tackle. Because he will be a monster um, over over center, um, and I think that's where he's going to be. I, like I said, I haven't I haven't talked to Wink, right? Uh, but seems like that's where it's trending with him. Um, and it's both he and Leonard will play well off of each other um, there. Um, so defensively, I, I think there's there's probably. A plan in place. Um, you're gonna know what to expect, which is the, the unexpected. Right. Um, 
but there are still unanswered questions on the outside of the defense. And obviously, you know, you're limited in the type of pressures you can bring or the type of situations you can bring pressure in if you're outside uh, or your exterior defenders are um, in, in matchup hell, right? So, and it's just not two corners. It could be if you're running five defensive backs, you could have four of those guys that, you know, are, are in the action too, defensively. But at least three that, you know, you know you've got to be solid um, with and then, like I said, maybe a fourth if it's a safety. So... Well, yeah, I mean, you laid it out perfectly. I mean, I do agree with you with the with the corners. It'll be interesting to see. Aaron Robinson's another guy that that should get some opportunities. Rodarius coming back from the ACL, though. I think, I think you mentioned obviously he's he's the guy that I think everyone forgets about. That you know, look, he took his lumps last year. We know they were moving him back and forth between the boundary and inside. Uh, and then he ended up get you know hurting the knee, and then that you know obviously that was the end of his his rookie year. So it, it, that will be an interesting guy. Uh, I think it might be a little bit of a a shuffle, constant shuffle that that Joe Shane and his department will will constantly be working the wires, trying to see at what guys they can get in here uh, at at a relatively low cost to be able to to fill that hole. Uh, so I can't. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Season where they say this is the year, yeah, where yeah. they're going to a Super Bowl. This is this is the the stepping stone. This is the year for improvement. You know, yeah. Um, do I think they have enough to compete in the division? Absolutely. Um, beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit on a great point. Is that look, there are there are free agents that are in their thirties that are out there right now. That if they really were worried and concerned about their corners, you know, you go sign a Joe Hayden, you know, who's still out there. But is that really the right fit for this team? Um, you know, you 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 couldn't find the money for for James Bradbury. Now you're gonna. I think the big mistake would be to double down in a sense and, and use up cap space for a guy who's really a one year one year guy and and you're not really you got to keep that in mind as to what you're playing for and what you're trying to go for um you know i, I i'm shocked that i'm 15 minutes in and i i've only mentioned Kayvon thibodeau once um I, I can't think of a player who's coming here with as big of a personality uh and people want to bring up Odell, but Odell's personality wasn't big when he was here as a rookie. Odell's personality blew up after the fact. Um, as far as Kayvon, I know you've had an opportunity to at least meet with him a little bit. What, what's your what's your feel for for him as a player, and really more so as as someone who you know you know what it's like to be in this city and play and play with pressure and play with um, you know expectations. Uh, what's your sense right now for for where Kayvon is and kind of what's awaiting him as he steps on the field in training camp and then in the regular season? Because he, I don't think the game is too big for him. I think he expects to be uh, a great football player, which is always a plus. You know, I think it rubs some people the wrong way when a guy has, you know, as a rookie expects to be great. But I think that is his expectation. Um, and, you know, so I think he's going to impact, you know, along with everything else that they have. Um, to complement each other, meaning the defensive line and 
uh, Aziz Ocelari. Yep. Uh, and he and then um, Blake Martinez. They have an opportunity to really create their moments for him to utilize his best skill set um, all the time, which is good because if he had to kind of worry about being a pass rusher, being a, a pass defender, and all kinds of other responsibilities, he probably, the ramp up would be a little different for him, but I think um, he has a chance to hit the ground running because he comes into a real solid uh, front that will help him. And we'll help the coaches too um, get the most impact from him. I'm sure you've watched a lot of his film, uh, maybe even before they ended up drafting him. Uh, what do you like about his game? What did you like about what you saw uh, from his college tape? Well, I, I just, you know, his feel for the game. Um, I think he's very explosive. Um, good speed, takes on blocks well. Um, but I think when you get to know him and you start to ask him about plays and moments in the game, it's where you really are impressed with him because he's just not a player out there playing, you know, just running plays that they call. But it's more um, beyond, you know, it comes with the comfort of knowing that you are better than a lot of your opponents or that you can beat them because he starts to think the, um, the process of the game. He starts to think situationally, not just first to fourth down, but more first to fourth quarter. And um, I think that's very impressive when you, you have a conversation with him, you know, you, you kind of understand why he, you know, why he's that type guy is. You know, he just, he, he sinks the game um, four quarters. So he's, you know, everything is a process for him. And he's constantly monitoring, you know, what works for him, what doesn't, and when he wants to use it again. You know, I, I don't know if it was Joe Shane or Brian Dable or both who, you know, when Kayvon got here, it was almost like, you know, the pipeline, you know, open the pipeline, let guys, you know, meet him, understand him, you know, having, uh, I think a couple guys were even here of the, the, you know, the former players were here when he was here on his top 30 visit, even before he was drafted for, for you, when you see a player that comes in and is kind of getting, getting the lessons from the old guys and you, you see, and I don't mean to be calling you old, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> so am I. Um, but what, I mean, some guys can take the ball and run with that. Other guys kind of shrink from it. What, what was your sense when you started hearing that that's what they were doing for this player? And I'm sure they do for other players as well. Um, but that kind of got, that was interesting to me that they identified Kayvon as somebody who can tap into, and it wasn't just, I idolized these guys. It was, I, I can learn from these guys. And I think that's kind of a difference that, that makes this unique. Yeah, I think, but the, the thing is that you've, you got our, uh, to, to understand it wasn't, it wasn't a lecture session for him. Most guys, we listened. Like, I was part of that group. I spent I spent some time with him. And I think it was for two reasons. One, the team didn't want to get it wrong. Um, so they wanted to make sure that what they were seeing as evaluators 
that, you know, people like a Michael Strahan, um, myself and, and others that have played well um, here in New York, had a lot of success, won Super Bowls, but have also uh, matched our off-the-field ambitions with our on-field uh, performance or complemented our, our uh, off-field with our on-field he wanted to make sure that, you know, he, 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 they were making the right decision with a guy um, like him because, you know, he talks a lot. Um, he's, Scott said it before, he's intellectually curious. Um, you know, he knows what he wants to achieve, and there's nothing wrong with that and shouldn't be held against him, but he also knows football is important. And, um, you know, when I finished with him, I told the team that he was their guy. Um, Interesting. You know, what, what made you think that? Um, what made me think that he was their guy? Yeah. Everything I just told you for the last five minutes. <laughs> and you got that off of the first first impression when you sat down with him? Well, we, we, we spent some time together. Okay. <laughs> we, spent, we, we spent some time together, but yeah, it, it wasn't a 15-minute meeting. Um, and you walk away and you say, you know, because, you know, you had Hutchison there, you had, um, you know, you had Parsons there before, the year before, and the team took a hit for that. But, like, you know, you got him and Hutchison in the same room or in the same draft, and, you know, one of, one of those guys was going to be available. And, you know, I, I and I said this, I said, um, both him and Hutchison will both have impacts for their team. Um, but one guy will change the game for you and the other guy will be consistently good. Um, but when you need a when you need a play, um Kayvon Thibodeau's gonna be the guy. Wow. And they'll both like I said their, their stats may be the same, but those stats won't be the same they they won't be as impactful. Thibodeau will have that, those impact plays for you. Gotcha. I mean, I think you'd probably have to go back to JPP in 2011 to think that the Giants would have a defender like that to, yeah. to impact the game, you know, the, the way he did. Uh, let's talk a little bit. I know, and I appreciate your time. Uh, let, let's talk about the, the talk business a little bit. Uh, you obviously are involved with the legacy games and everything that you're going to launch. Uh, come September once the season goes. Uh, but what what was that process like? How involved were you? And what did you think when you saw the the rollout with uh, with LT and and Saquon and and obviously being involved with with you know what they were able to do with the the jerseys, bringing your jersey uh, to the current team. Um, well, I think just the whole legacy piece of it and the decision to bring that particular era back. I think it represents um, the real beginning of Giants football or the new era of Giants football because um, 1983 was not a good year. 1984, you know, started the playoffs and it went from there. Um, and so it kind of defined what quote-unquote Giants football uh, was about in terms of what the fans' expectations were. 
you know, um, because they didn't expect a lot. You know, he had a coach who thought he was going to get fired if he didn't win. Yeah. And, you know, lo and behold, he's in the playoffs in the next year, the um, divisional and then the conference Super Bowl, you know. So it was, you know, well, you wild card. And then was it the championship game? Well, the conference championship, and then we go and win the Super Bowl the next year. So, um, and then you've got, you know, um, an extension of that when Michael Strahan and Tiki Barber um, came along. They were great teams. And so that's the era that defined Giants football. And so. To be able to um, reintroduce that jersey, fans, you know, hopefully you want to change how they're feeling. It's been a tough seven years, like you said. Um, but the process for me is when um, Pete Coelho and Don Sperling came to me and says, look, you know, um, starter was such a big part of this era and, you know, all of our coaches and players wore it. Um, do you have um, a library of the items from that year? Hmm. And I was like, yeah, I got the locker room T-shirt. I got the parcel sweater. Obviously, the red, uh, they call it the Belichick jacket. Yeah. And um, the, um, the, coaching, the coaching windbreaker. And so I had some of the original pieces, and they asked if we could uh, – partner and uh, collaborate and and relaunch those items as they were and it was an exciting project for me to um to put together with my my team at g3 and we are um and my starter team and so here we are Uh, i can't i mean the excitement level on you know uh, on social media from fans and obviously that the thirst is there. I mean, the fans are dying to get back to, you know, being able to, to celebrate wins and, you know, but everybody is just loving the, the legacy stuff. I saw the photo that you had posted when you, when you were wearing the, the parcel sweater, um, any, any ideas of getting one of those new ones down to, down to him in Florida? Yeah, I, I definitely. I need. I need to hand hand deliver it to him, and we'll wear it together. <laughs> uh, and have have Lawrence come with me and lift him on our shoulders again. But you know, the one thing about this era of football, and that's just kind of what defined the Giant fan, uh, is the emotional connection that they have with the team, and um, yeah, obviously winning helps. But having so many great moments, I am still, to this day, waiting for this MetLife Stadium to become a home. It's a house right now Mm. for fans. It's not a home. There's no, I mean, you know, it, it, it has its moments. But, you know, I want those players to walk in that stadium and know that they're playing a home game in every sense of it, right? Um, and it's just a house right now. It's the Giants' house, but it's not a home. Uh, the fans have not been able to christen it uh, 
in the way the old Giant Stadium was because there's just certain levels of inconsistency. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you want that place to rock, rain or shine, win or lose. And it kind of, you know, when you're when you turn into an Airbnb after Thanksgiving or right after <laughs> Halloween, um, you know, it's not a home. Right. And that's what it is. It's an Airbnb for ticket holders. Like you look around the stadium after Halloween and, you know, it's it's non-season ticket holders. It's it's people who. Are, are there because they can score the ticket and not necessarily great fans of the team, you know, and yeah. they have been pretty rough. Um, so you want you want that ticket to be hard. You want a you want a ticket season ticket holder uh, to still be engaged after Halloween and into today, looking forward to Thanksgiving and down the home stretch, and um, hopefully they'll get back to that and. Um, Make it home. And going off of your great analogy, they spend the team spends most of their time at the high price condominium across the parking lot, and they don't spend much time in the stadium. So that's also a connection that they don't have that you guys did because everything was kind of housed in the in the stadium. So when you came to work every day, you came to the stadium. You came to Giant Stadium. You didn't necessarily work one place and then come and you know work on Sundays at that other stadium. But that's a great analogy. And you're 100% right. Uh, and thinking of it as an Airbnb, that is certainly what it has become in November, December, and early part of January the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah. listen, I, I really appreciate it. I have uh, I have one of those Belichick red starter jackets in the family. It was my brother-in-law's back, yeah. back in the day, and it was passed down to my older nephew, and I'm sure he's looking forward to wearing it to a game this year. So one of those legacy games, he's already ahead of the game so but obviously number 58 i appreciate all your time and all your insight and we will uh, be catching up hopefully soon out there on the fields behind quest and uh get this another season rolling yeah absolutely and we'll we'll circle back and talk offense next time absolutely carl appreciate it all right. thank you thank all right, right. bye thanks again to carl banks and as i mentioned make sure you check out Carl and Bob Papa's podcast on uh, Believe in Giants. They do a lot of great stuff. And as I've said previously, I believe that uh, cross-promoting podcasts is not a bad thing. You're always looking for great shows to listen to. So I always appreciate people who do other podcasts to come on our show. And I try to do that, vice versa. But Carl was awesome. And I'm going to take him up on that to bring him back before the season starts to give his thoughts on the offensive side of the ball. I just really didn't want to take too much more of Carl's time. He gave me 30 minutes, uh, and that was a lot. So, again, I hope you guys appreciate that insight. And it was an eventful day over there at, at the Giants facility for the first day of training camp. We will be there throughout, so make sure you check on NorthJersey.com. If you can, if you have not yet, please check out our subscription page. It's $1 for six months. It'll carry you through the Giants season. Uh, you'll get some subscriber-only specials that we have, and I would really appreciate if you like my content and like my coverage. This is all part and parcel of what we hope to do is that we realize how, how much you're all in and the effort you make for your fandom and your passion for the New York Giants. That's why we're all in. 
with everything we do. So thanks for listening to this week's show. Season two, rolling on. We'll be back next week.